The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you how you can use negotiation and persuasion to get more of what you want and how to make the difficult conversations in your life easier. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to give a couple of listener shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to Baron from New York and Brett from Chicago. Thank you both for reaching out. You know I love hearing from all of you, so if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the episode description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. So just connect and I'll shoot you a message. I really want to hear what kinds of topics interest you, and LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect with you. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the Negotiation Prep Guide, the Introvert Negotiation Guide, or the Salary Negotiation Guide, or the Car Negotiation Guide, those links are all in the description as well. Today we're talking to Lene Brown. She is a storytelling guru. Lene volunteered as a story coach in the Moths community program for over six years. She worked with all sorts of people who wanted to tell their stories. Substance use survivors, the formerly incarcerated, folks with physical and emotional disabilities, as well as Korean adoptees, divorced parents, and high school students. And the list goes on and on. Now she uses story coaching in her work as a director of a vocational program in Harlem where she helps people with mental health concerns use their stories to empower how they move throughout the world. She has over 20 years of experience in marketing, sales, and consulting, and she's a member of the Executive Council for New York Public Psychiatry, and she was just appointed to the Mental Hygiene Advisory Board by Mayor de Blasio in New York City. In this episode, she shares how stories can be utilized as powerful, persuasive tools. She also tells us how to tell a good story and the things we need to avoid so we don't tell a bad story. And let me tell you, the info in this is phenomenal. And after this, I have no doubt that all of you are going to be storytelling gurus. It was so good, in fact, that she inspired another freebie. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash story, I've created this outline that you could go through to hone your stories before it's time to get into that meeting and persuade. So check that out when you get a chance. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So without further ado... Let's jump into the interview. Lene, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, let's get started by uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I started story coaching with the Moth probably back in 2008, 2009. The Moth is a nonprofit organization um, dedicated to the art of storytelling. When I first started there in 2008, on their a community outreach program. I think they were just based in New York, but I think now they have organizations across the country, um, moth slams all over the country. They have a radio show on NPR, so very prolific story. And so I started in like 2008, 2009 as a story coach in their community outreach program. And specifically, I was working with people who are considered marginalized Uh, groups of people, people who who needed stories or wanted to use stories to help them understand their lives, 
have a place to really express themselves and also share their lives in a way that they don't have otherwise. That's why I started and I've been doing this since then. That's really cool. And in your opinion, why do you think stories are so important? Oh my gosh, stories are so important for a host of reasons. One, I think stories really exemplify what it means to be a human being. In stories, we find out about ourselves, the good, the bad, the funny, the not so funny. And it's really an opportunity to share experience with each other. And as a listener of stories, it helps you feel like you're not alone. Also, stories are really important because we're also hardwired for stories anyway. So we remember stories very easily. We remember stories more than we do facts and figures and numbers a lot of times. A story we really hang on to and remember. We start listening to stories when we're very young. When we're, when we're young people, we start off with fairy tales and our parents reading us books. So we just grew up with stories, and so we gravitate towards them very easily and readily. I love it. Yeah, and, and I think back sometimes to my childhood, and I think most people can remember their childhood by some of the stories that their caretakers told them growing up. So there is a sentimental value to stories that I think everybody can relate to. Yes, absolutely. I think my first story that I made my mother read me over and over again was Cinderella. <laughs> she, she learned to hate that story after a while because I made her read it to me every night. <laughs> Very interesting. So what do you think drew you to Cinderella? Um, I think probably the underdog. I mean, Cinderella was the underdog and then she was discovered for her you know, power and beauty, I guess. But the love of the prince. But I love that her, she had a kindness and a generosity that went unnoticed until she was seen for who she really was. I think I love the underdog story. Nice. And uh, this is a cool segue. So would you say that the Cinderella story persuaded you to change the way that you <laughs> navigated the world? <laughs> well, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. But probably, I think her story probably exemplifies the idea of, regardless of how people are treating me, I decide how I'm going to be in the world. Mm. I think that's a really important lesson. That's interesting that you asked that because I never thought about that. But that's very true for me. Very interesting. So as far as <laughs> conveying a message or leading to persuasion or telling stories for a purpose, can you take us a little bit deeper into like the mechanics of what makes a good story work? Like why is it so effective? Oh, because stories demonstrate any kind of point you want to make in a way that really draws people in. So say, for instance, really good stories are usually in chronological order. It's this, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And there's a logic to it with a mixture of emotion. Um, it's very action-oriented. As opposed to saying, you know, I was brave, you tell the story about how you jumped off of a cliff, you know, and, you, and, you, and what you did when you jumped off the cliff. That's much more demonstrative and illustrates who you're being as opposed to just saying I'm brave. So stories are persuasive because as you're listening to someone telling you a very good story, you're drawn into the action. You're drawn into the, the moment in time that they're talking about. And you also have the extra sensory of when you're hearing somebody tell a story, you then conjure up in your own mind what the scene is. So you're in this way, you're involved in the story in this very personal way. So even though the story you're hearing is someone else's experience, you are drawn in yourself because now you're allowed to figure out for yourself the colors and the smells and the scene. And it becomes almost your story, almost you're involved in that moment. And so you gain a sense of empathy for the subject itself. You're in it yourself. You're engaged. 
you're, if the story's again, well told, you're invested in it being okay. So parts of a really good story would be, as I said earlier, would be, it has this chronological order, this logic to it, and then this happened, and then this happened, and action-oriented. He said this, I said that, she said no, I said yes. Good storytelling is using very simple words. I know some of the biggest mistakes people make in storytelling is they might get too jargony. And so the listener might think in terms of, well, what does that mean? Oh, for instance, I was coaching somebody the other day and she was telling a story about something that happened in the second grade. And she said, well, I was in art class and I made this diorama and this kid took my bunnies from my diorama. Now, listening to her, I'm going, what the hell is a diorama? Like, I'm going through my head going, wait, what's that? And so I'm, I'm not listening to her anymore because I'm like, a diorama? Maybe I should Google it. So I'm, I'm, now I'm lost. And so then she goes, oh, a diorama is one of those. Remember that art project you had in a shoebox? And you used to paint the background of the shoebox. And then you used to have, like, your action figures in the shoebox and the back of the shoebox. And I was like, oh, okay, I did that when I was a kid. But I didn't know it was called a diorama. That took me out of the story. Mm. So when coaching her, I said, just say art project. Like people don't need to know it was a diorama because that's not the story. So being able to make sure you know who you're talking to in your audience so that, and using words that they can relate to. And another mistake people sometimes make is, you know, you have to know your audience, right? Who you're talking to. So if you bring in too many characters without names, or even if they do have names, you have too many characters and people aren't aware of who these people are you're talking about, people will get lost, right? They'll be like, oh, did Mark say that or did John say that? Oh, okay. Peter said that? Okay, when did Peter come into this? So then you get bogged down in the who said what said who because people couldn't figure out, you know, who to follow. But if you're telling a story with a certain audience, you want to make sure you know where your audience is and to make sure that your story will land with them. But those are some of the big mistakes that people make. And I also, I guess also we talked about earlier, I said that people get caught up in saying, oh, was it a Tuesday or Wednesday this happened? Huh? Or was it two o'clock or four o'clock? Okay, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It really doesn't matter. Keep it going. Keep it going. Right. The other mistake people make, which cracks me up, is when they're so busy going, ah, ah, oh, my God, this story was so funny. I can't wait to tell you. So, so I saw this guy. God, it was so funny. <laughs> I saw this guy. He was walking down the street. Okay, you, you're not going to. And you're like, get to the story. Okay. <laughs> Huge mistake. Huge mistake. This is awesome. There's so much good stuff in here. Okay, let's talk about the mixture of logic, emotions, and action. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And how people visualize it. Because I think that's really, really key when it comes to talking about the power of stories. Because unlike with a chart or a recitation of facts, it is just uh, one directional. You are just stating a fact. They are absorbing it, hopefully, if they haven't zoned out. Mm. But then when you tell a story, like you said, it's almost like they do some of the work for you because you tell the story and then they put themselves in the story. They see themselves as the protagonist. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a logical exercise, but also it's emotional and it's action oriented. And so without them even being aware, you are taking them and forcing them to empathize with you and see things from your perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so cool. And I like these mistakes that you were saying, because I think we can all relate to some of those scenarios when somebody is really bad at telling the story. And you hit on some of these, but let's get a little bit deeper. So if you are working okay. with one of these people who's about to tell a story, well, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that you're preparing. Because when I listen to the the Moth Radio Hour, they don't sound rehearsed. It's their story and it just sounds flawless. But what it sounds like after hearing this, it seems like it takes a lot of time to get the story to be that crisp. Is that right? Correct. Correct. So I, as I said earlier, like I story coach for in the community outreach program. So those are the folks who are from nonprofit organizations who are using storytelling as empowering tools, right, for their own empowerment. So sometimes they end up on the radio, but most don't. Mm. It's more about this empowering community and learning how to own people's stories. And so telling stories or coaching stories does take time. We try to be, I guess I should talk from a personal standpoint, because I think all the story coaches kind of have a different approach. Mm -hmm. For me, when I'm working with someone, I'm as committed as I possibly can to help somebody tell the story that they want to tell and tell it in a way that they feel empowered and that they want to tell you the story. Because one of the issues around getting up to the mic, because I don't know if you know this, but with the moth, it's about getting up at the mic, no notes and telling your story. Mm-hmm. And on the radio, a lot of times, those are from the moth slams, which are the competitions. So you can just imagine whether it's a moth slam or it's just a showcase at the end of a, a community outreach program, going to the mic and telling your story, opening up your heart and letting somebody in at a mic can be absolutely terrifying. So when I work with people, I want them to feel like they're so excited to tell you the story that they can get over their nerves, mm-hmm. right? So that takes some time. So when I'm working with people, I start with, with the story that they want to tell, and then I'm looking for what will give them the most power in telling it. And I'll give you an example. I was working with a woman who wanted to tell the story of her time in a psych ward. She really felt like this is what she wanted to talk about. But as she was telling me the story, she was very emotional, very emotional and in tears a lot of the times. 
And we have a saying at the moth that says, if you're going to tell a story, tell a story from a scar, not a wound. Meaning, if you're going to tell a story from your life, make sure you have some perspective on it and you have a little bit of detach, some detachment from it so you can tell it kind of from not so emotionally charged position, right? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of concerned in working with her because I'm thinking, okay, she's crying a lot. I don't know if she, you know, we can do this, but she was really committed to telling the story. So I thought, okay, let me figure out how to get her to feel better about the story. So she talked about how what got her into the psych ward was she was coming out of a really abusive, emotionally abusive relationship. And she had told the guy if he had left her, she would kill herself. And she told her therapist that this is what she told the boyfriend. If you leave me, I'm going to kill myself. And he left anyway. Now, in this world, when you say that to your therapist, your therapist is going to commit you, which is what the therapist did. That's how she got into the psych ward. Mm -hmm. She ended up in the psych ward and staying there for three or four days. And then she ended up meeting so many great people that helped her refocus and realize, you know, I always said I want to be a journalist. Like I was on this trajectory to to be a journalist and write for the New York Times. And that's what I'm going to do. So she kind of changed what she was thinking about and started talking about her plans to the psychiatrist in, in the psychiatric ward. And that change of language got her out of the psych ward. They let her go that they realized she was no longer a danger to herself. And actually, she ended up two years later writing for the New York Times, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Wow. So, yes, it was amazing. So as she was telling the story, I go, well, can I just put this out there for you to consider? Do you realize that even though being in a psych ward is not, you know, a party, that you actually had control of the whole situation? You said something that got you into the psych ward. I'm going to kill myself if you leave me. And then you said something to get out of the psych ward. I'm going to become a journalist. This is what I, what I said I was going to do, and this is what I wanted to do. And I got you out. So you realize your journey was based on something that you said. That was you. Mm. And she stopped crying. <laughs> and she said, oh, I never thought about it that way. And she, from that moment on, the story started to morph. It actually got a little funny. She started talking about the interesting characters she met in the psych ward. She threw a couple curse words in there to get like kind of sweet with it. You know, she's like, you know, making it kind of like a tough moment in her life that she got through and, and gunned through. And she got to the mic and when she told her story, she didn't cry once. And she said to me afterwards, I don't think I'll ever cry about this again, because that was how I got to become a journalist. The psych ward was a prism. It's a prism. It got me crystallized and thinking that this is what I really should be focusing on as a writer, not worrying about some dumb guy who didn't treat me well. <laughs> right. And that's so what I, for me, knew, like, this is another example of the power of story. When we own our stories, reframe how we see our lives, how powerful it can be. We can go from being victims to heroes within seconds, right, in our own lives, and then also how we represent ourselves to other people. And anyone can relate to that. Everyone can relate to one minute thinking, I really screwed up my life. I ended up in a psych ward. To five minutes later realizing, oh, I got myself into it and I got myself out. Wow. That's the power of storytelling. You know, that's the power of storytelling. And that's just an example of kind of why I love what I do. Whenever I get a chance to work with people on their stories, it's like when they recognize that they're the, the heroes in their own lives, that when they own their story and they use it to demonstrate their own power and grace and vulnerability and imperfectness, you know, they can connect with people in a way that nothing else can. You know, Brene Brown, one of the renowned social scientists of our time, says, you know, stories are just data with a soul. Mm. 
That is so cool. So and so cool on a number of levels, because first of all, full disclosure, I just knew what the moth was. I didn't know they had coaches. So I was like, wow, so you must be good at stories, but I don't know what you do (laughs) as a story coach. (laughs) But through that story that you told, now it made it clearer to me your role. And I think that Mm. if you would have explained it to me, just saying I do X, Y, Z, it wouldn't have been as clear as you using that story. And so that in and of itself Mm. demonstrates the power of story. And then this is almost like Inception because there was a story within the story, (laughs) which was the, uh, (laughs) the, uh, the journalist story and hearing how important it is to increase your feeling of control over your life and how powerful that can be. And so I think you inadvertently just gave an incredibly powerful demonstration of the power of story to persuade. Mm, absolutely. That is so cool. I'm glad I had you on. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this is exactly <laughs> I'm glad to be here. This is what I was hoping for. Man, okay. Yeah. So if you were to pick out a couple, like let's say five key elements that no story could do without what would they be? And the reason I'm asking this is because one of the things I love doing for the audience is creating these freebies that they can use so we can make this work actually actionable for them. So if you could give us like a list of things that you should look out for when you are creating a story, that would be cool, like a framework that they could use. Well, one of the ways we used to talk about it at the Moth would be, first, you want to give a sense of what things were like before change happened. So life was like this. Until, then the until is the actions or the situations that are rocking your world or rocking that status quo, right? And I'll go back to your five key elements, though. So I would say you want to probably outline how life was before. What are the triggering event or something that happens that makes you think that you have to do something different? You definitely want to. For example, like what the stakes are, mm. those things that might be happening that make you realize if you don't do this, you will lose this or you will gain this. You want to demonstrate the action. So you don't want to do a lot of, I was thinking this and I was thinking that. You want things like if you're in a conversation, Jack said this, I said that. Jack's eyebrows raised and then he said so you want this banter of communication. You want a banter of a conversation. You don't want summaries. Definitely stay away from the summaries. Mm. And I would also say in a good story, you definitely want a line that really exemplifies the whole point of what you're trying to say. So I guess one thing to bring up to what the elements would be, it has to be relevant. <laughs> you want to make sure that your story is relevant to what you're trying to demonstrate. I mean, I've seen that's another mistake people make. It's like one minute you're talking about birds and somebody is like, you know what? Let me tell you a story about an otter. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're talking about birds. Like, where'd, you, where'd the otter come from? You know, that throws people off. So you want to make sure that your story is relevant to whatever the subject is that you're talking about. And you make sure that it does have a purpose. And you want to get to all the relevant actions that really point to the purpose you're trying to make. Because one of the things that we do in the moth in terms of helping people tell their stories is a lot of times when people tell stories, they want to tell you like everything, 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 everything that happens around it. And there's a point where you have to do what we call kill your darlings. 
there are things in the story that might be really funny or cool or, oh, that's so amazing, but it's not relevant to the purpose of the story. So you have to take it out mm -hmm. because it'll get people off track in terms of where you're taking them. So that's important too, to be on point and purposeful and make sure every action that you're talking about is relevant to the purpose of your story. I personally needed that last one uh, because I think I can get caught in giving superfluous details, not so much in terms of what actually happened, but in describing it. And I feel like since I'm a, a teacher at heart, and for instance, if I'm recounting a negotiation story, instead of just saying what happens, I would be defining things like, oh, and then this happened. And the reason why that's important is because of psychologically blah, blah, blah. And people glaze over and I'm getting super into it. <laughs> but I need to remember that <laughs> my audience doesn't think like I do. I, I need <laughs> to remember that. And so I'm, I'm glad you said that. Keep it relevant because, uh, yeah, kill your darlings because a lot of times there are certain things that I really want to nerd out on in a story, but I, I know that other people don't care. And <laughs> I have to leave it out. Right. <laughs> that's funny. That is good. This is That's yeah. going to be a good freebie. Wow. So in a natural conversation, let's say we're going back and forth. Is there a certain cue that tells you that a, a story would be good? Or what sign would you look for to inject a story in as a, a persuasive element? That's the first time I've been asked that question. I would think one way is... If somebody said to me, well, what do you mean by that? Oh. That would invite me to think in terms of wanting to demonstrate what I mean, as opposed to just finding different words for saying the same thing. Hmm. So almost like clarification. Yeah, a clarification, a demonstration of what do you mean by. Like one question I, I was asked about story coaching once before, somebody asked me about, you know, why I like to do it. And I said, well, you know, I love working with people and the element of surprise and people will surprise you. And she said, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I was working with this gentleman. He was in a mandated court ordered substance abuse treatment center. And so he had to be there. And we were working on a story and the story he wanted to tell was about how he was the product of sexual violence and how his mother never recovered from it and how his father was a jerk and his brother was a jerk and how his family was jerks. And he just went on and on. And I was like, okay, this is the story he wants to tell. So I'm just trying to figure it out. And so after about an hour, I was like, um, Roberto, I know this is a story you want to tell, but I'm not hearing a story. I'm hearing, you know, anecdotes. I'm hearing, you know, hurt. I'm hearing that you're really upset. You haven't figured out how to reconcile with your family. I'm hearing that, you know, you just have some unresolved issues with your family, but I'm not getting what the story is here. I'm looking for, we're looking for something, a story in your life that you can tell people to share people like who you are, what's important to you, that sort of thing. And I'm not quite hearing it yet. So he sits back in his chair for a minute. He looks at me and smiles and he says, well, I guess I could tell you about the time when I ended up in the same prison as the guy who molested my kid. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, well, you're better what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, this one time I ended up in the same prison as the guy who molested my kid. That was wild. And you know, I had to try to kill him. Right. And I was like, okay, Roberto, um, that's the story. Okay. That's the story. <laughs> I'm like quivering. I'm quivering. <laughs> I'm like, Roberto, that's the story. So that's what I mean by the element of surprise when people just come out with, what? 
I mean, it was Shakespearean, Kwame. I mean, the story was Shakespearean. Um, but that wouldn't have happened if I kept trying to get him on this one path of talking about his mother and how he hates his family and stuff. It just kind of like I had to, you know, kind of go, hey, who are you? And that story of how he went after this guy in prison, all the, he, this guy made homemade, homemade shanks in his prison room. He plotted with people in the cafeteria. He plotted with, you know, correctional officers in the prison. He plotted with people he knew in the prison, trying to get this guy. Like he had this whole thing, this whole elaborate scheme, how he tried to get this guy. But the guy realized that Roberto was trying to kill him. So he ended up getting himself into solitary confinement to protect it, you know, so he'd be protected. And so one of the police officers or the correctional officers said to Roberto, like, why are you trying to get this guy? Like, what's the, what's the deal? And Roberto said, well, he molested my kid. And see, I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone thinks he's in here for robbery. Roberto's like, no, he's in here for molesting my kid. Now, if you know anything about prison, you know that's all it had to take, that that guy would never be safe from anybody. So that's how he ends up getting that guy. <laughs> like, by letting the cat out of the bag about that. Experience. Um, <laughs> so for the audience, if you could just imagine the emoji with the with the mouth wide open, that was like my yes. face the whole time I was listening I to that story. <laughs> That's crazy. It's cr- exactly. It's crazy. You can't make it up. I'm I'm telling you, Kwame. I'm sitting across from the sky. My mouth is open. I'm quivering, quivering. With excitement, and of course, being respectful because it was his life. It's his actual life. It's something he lived through. So I couldn't had to be respectful. But oh, right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Those moments when you have, in terms of you know, the question to me, to her, what, what do you find surprising about story coaching? Like that. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, I will always yeah. remember that. Wow. And so juxtapose you telling that story mm-hmm. when they said, "Oh, what do you mean?" versus you saying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say things that you don't expect. It's, what? Yeah. Those are, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here with chills thinking about that yeah. and, versus just saying, yeah, sometimes you get surprised. And I think that is a perfect story to end on because that, I mean, there you go. Right there is the power of story. And wow, yeah. that's perfect. That's perfect. So yeah, I, I think the audience is going to love this. This is a, this is a cool little change of pace when it comes to... Uh, Uh, our typical programming, but I think it's so pertinent because this is something that we can use to amplify our persuasion power simply in a way that both entertains and persuades. It's, oh, that's so cool. I'm so pumped about this. Thank you so much. Yeah. and You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. And just so you know, it's like in the best way to tell stories, of course, is to listen to stories. So, you know, the Moth has a podcast, listening to certain comedians who tell stories really well. They're all great ways to, like, understand how to interject a new story um, to illustrate points. It's, it's the best way to learn is to listen. Yeah, I agree. Oh, before you go, let me ask you this, because this is something that I was thinking about, too. Of course, as we get older, we accumulate more stories. But sometimes mm. we realize that I know a story would be well put to address this certain situation as far as persuasion goes. But I don't have a story that I could tell. What What is your thought about making up a realistic story and almost treating it like a fable? Like there once was a man that blah, 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 blah. Do you think, uh, oh, do you I- think that like crosses almost like an ethical line or it serves its purpose? Absolutely not. 
not, as long as you're on the up and up about it. I mean, my pastor at my church does that. He creates fables to demonstrate points all the time. And you know they're not real in the, in the sense that, you know, no, it didn't actually happen. But they could have happened. Mm-hmm. And it always ends with the lesson very powerfully at the end to really demonstrate the point of God's grace or eminent goodness, things like that. So, you know, as long as it's cloaked as or framed as, I have a story about blah, blah, blah. And you go from there. And you're not talking about you. You know, I did this, I did this. But you could say there was this guy. And let's say his name was Sam. And Sam had, and then you go from there. Okay. That could be very powerful. I like that. That's something that I've always wanted to do, but I always wondered, like, yeah, is that deceptive? But I mean, think about the, some of the most powerful stories we have. We have the, uh, like, Aesop's fables and uh, things like that. Yeah. Nursery rhymes. Those certainly yes. didn't happen. <laughs> but we, we still, you know, the, the story hits its mark, even though it's not real. I like that. That's good. And so I think that uh, uh, you've um, assuaged one of my fears. So it's cool to have a (laughs) podcast where I could get as much personal gain out of it as as the people who are listening to. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I like win-wins. That's called a win-win. Exactly. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, thank you again for stopping by. This was really good. Thank you, Kwame, for having me. It was a total pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you find this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible, and leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. Remember, success and failure is determined by how we handle these critical conversations in our lives. My job is to make these difficult conversations easier while getting more of what you want in the process. I've had the opportunity to provide these negotiation and mediation services to a wide variety of professionals, including lawyers, entrepreneurs, and warring business partners. I do this through a simple three-step process, situational analysis, strategy creation, and plan implementation. First, we analyze the situation to get a lay of the land and understand exactly what we're dealing with. Then we use the information from our analysis to create a customized strategy for your situation. And then we work with you to put these powerful strategies into action so you can close the deal or resolve the conflict. If you don't prepare properly, you run the risk of missing out on these critical opportunities. Remember, negotiation is the art of deal discovery, not deal making. I will help you to find the best deal possible, and I'll teach you how and when to walk away from a deal that's bad for you. Sometimes the worst outcome in a negotiation is a deal that never should have been made. When we work together, you'll know that you've put yourself in the best position for success. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email if there's a specific problem or opportunity you'd like to work through. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.